0: Welcome to the Talk & Chatter Experience powered by Gasoline Alley Harley-Davidson and M33 Productions. For your photo and video requirements, get in touch with us today. My guest today is Tony Quinn. Tony has been a leader in the motorsport and business arena for the past few decades. When you sit down to chat with Tony, you know you're going to get an authentic conversation from a natural-born storyteller. In this show, we discussed everything from racetracks to dummy spits by other motorsport racers. When you accomplish as much as Tony has it's very difficult to get all the stories within two hours. So this is part one of many more to come on this journey with Tony Quinn. I hope you all enjoy the show. If you get the chance, head over to YouTube and hit subscribe, give us a rating and a review on iTunes, and we'll be back with another show very soon. Welcome, Tony Quinn. <laughs> Welcome. Uh, thank you Welcome for coming Welcome myself. In. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here. Thank you for coming in, uh, firstly. And um, yeah, who's Tony Quinn? Wow, you might have to ask me mum who Tony Quinn is, but
1: um, who Tony Quinn's become. um, I was pretty clever at school, but I never went on to university because my dad offered me a job in his pet food factory for wages. Up until that point, I'd worked in his pet food factory for nothing, you know, during school holidays and that. But then when he offered me wages, I thought, hmm, that's a better idea than no wages. So I never actually went to university. I wanted to be an architect um well that's what i thought i wanted to be um but anyway i never did that and i carried on worked for my dad for a couple of years um and as usual teenagers fight with their parents and argue and um you know my dad sort of lost his temper with me one day and said if you think you can make money better than me you go and do this and he gave me the shittiest opportunity, um, knowing that most people would fail <laughs> to teach me a lesson. And um as as history would 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 prove, um, I actually made a huge success of the opportunity he gave me. Wow. And subsequently he he always said and claimed that I had the mightest touch. Um whether that's true or not, I don't know. But certainly most things I've done and I've had a fair share of failures to be to be frank uh, but most things I've done I've done remarkably well at um, and people say well how do you do that and I don't have pink fairy dust or <laughs> a silver wand that I wave it's just, it's the old adage, you know, it's just the harder you work, the luckier you become or the, the more you accumulate um, I consider myself as a as a conservative entrepreneur. Um, and by that I mean, I don't mind taking risks, but they've got to be calculated risks. And, um, you know, as I said before, uh, I, I've seemed to have done all right. And it's only on reflection that you can compare um, or you can sort of analyze what you would have done done better or differently or whatever. And in all honesty, um, I don't think I would change a thing in my life. Wow. We,
0: we, you've had So, uh,
1: so, so I'm, not, I'm sorry to interrupt, but you asked me who Tony Quinn was, and I, I didn't even answer that question. Um, but I'm a law-abiding, tax-paying citizen that's lived in three countries and worked in three countries. Um, I've never been taken to court for any skullduggery. I've never been taken to court for unfair dismissal. Um, and I just seem to have just get on with life and uh, the challenge that challenges that it
0: presents. You, you're not aware of this at this point in time, but uh, through a mutual friendship that we, we've had, I've, I've worked alongside in some of your businesses over the years oh. and uh, the advancements of certain things, obviously through Pet Foods and uh, um, obviously the uh, go-karting facilities, yeah. um, Daryl Lee, um, you, you've been able to, your business has advanced as well, like I'm in an automation uh, engineering background, oh. and it was always ahead of the curve for the businesses as well, which was something different. Is that something you've always focused on? Uh, look, honestly, I, I don't claim to be
1: special at all. Yeah. Um, I simply apply logic and um, and um, you know just effort. Mm. Logic and effort. Does that make sense? I suppose it is. It's like that's what you do and. And, you know, you don't do the same thing twice if it didn't work the first time. (laughs) No. (laughs) So you you tend to try and move on from all of that stuff. And, you know, like all of the things that you've heard and read about and listened to about uh, surrounding yourself with good people, that is a number one golden rule. Um, You pay the same money for an idiot to work for you as you do for a good person to work for you. And then you can always pay the good person more to keep them there. Mm. And so, you know, I think I've, because I'm a working guy, basically, you know, um, I, I understand effort and reward. You know, I understand that, that um, quantum. And it works for us simple humans and particularly males who are more simple than females. <laughs> so, so it kind of works. It does.
0: It's a basic recipe, isn't it? Yeah. You know. uh, And
1: and and honestly, there's an old thing, keep it simple. It's absolutely true. Yeah. Yeah, just keep it simple. I've had consultants that have come and tried to, you know, wangle some business out of me. And in all honesty, they end up learning more than I was to learn from them. You know, it's like, I don't get it. It's like, keep it simple. It's not complicated. Life is not complicated. People make it complicated. Children don't. You know yep. to, in my i'm a grandfather now of nine grandkids and i've also got um you know through split families and stuff i've got about 20 young kids that that um call me popeye and um i love them to bits they're absolutely awesome um it's the adults that are the problem
0: the kids are fine well we we've got a basic program when we start with don't we we don't make the process hard until we get old, yeah. like older. So, well, that's what I feel anyway. Cause Absolutely, the, the map and you get's pretty bland. You know? Well, I
1: I I say to people, yeah, in simple terms, when you're born, if there's a God, He gives you He deals you some cards. Yep. Right, and off you go play the game of poker or whatever it is. Some people are really good at playing poker, and some people aren't. Some people don't realize how to play the game. <laughs> yes. So it's really just life is about playing the game of poker and you know um, getting through and, and winning, if that's the aim of the game, which I think I say to people, that's why humans have evolved, because we challenge each other. We want more than the next guy. We, we always want to do better. And um, I think cockroaches don't. And that's why cockroaches haven't evolved, you know, in a million years of the same. When they look in the mirror, they just see another cockroach in the mirror. Yeah, whereas I think when humans look in the mirror, they want to compare themselves against somebody else and want to be better or whatever it is. Yeah, um, mind you, I don't, I can't really speak on behalf of cockroaches because I don't really know. I'm just assuming
0: that uh, cockroaches <laughs> are cockroaches. <laughs> but you've been in the you've been in the industry, <laughs> the <laughs> pet food industry? Well, no, Maybe it is. But uh, Maybe, it is. maybe how, it is. How did you like we we are talking about motorsport stuff and that too, but yeah. I've would love to sit down with you for for years and just talk to you about other stuff within stuff within the industry and that. How did you make pet food fun? How did I make it there's no fun making pet food. Yeah, but it looked, I mean, fu- it looked fun as an outside person.
1: Oh, well, but that's just marketing or, or right. spin or image or whatever. I mean, I was the guy that created fresh chilled pet food in Australia. Mm. I mean, there was, uh, in New Zealand, there was fresh chilled pet food, been there for years, decades actually, but nothing in Australia because Australia was controlled by Nestle and Mars, who were heavily involved in canned Pet food and dry pet food. And they did not want anybody doing any other category of pet food. And it was very difficult for me um, to crack that. You know, back in 94, I think it was, um, when I went to see Woolworths, and um, I, did, I don't ever script anything. I don't, not even going to see the, the big boss of Woolworths or Coles. I would never script anything. I would just play the game as it was, as it presented to me. Um, but it was a fair, fair ask when I asked uh, Woolworths, who were heavily promoting Woolworths, the fresh food people, um, when I asked them to maybe change the slogan to Woolworths, the fresh pet food people. That was a big ask. It never <laughs> happened, obviously. <laughs> <I haven't laughs> but seen that. It, was, it was cheeky enough to um, get their attention. And, um, you know, it's, it's like anything. There are three things in business, and I, I tell this quite openly. Um, that people need to know about business. The first thing is, uh, in business, you need to have a brand. Um, The brand is is where the value is. It's it's where your reputation is. It's where the, you know, if you eventually sell your business, that's what the person's buying is the brand and the process. The second thing is, um, which is very, very important, and which a lot of people fall short on, and in retail world, there's an acronym called DIFORT, And DIFORT stands for Delivered In Full On Time. In other words, if, if you're making swimming pool fences and you say you're gonna be there next Tuesday at 10 a.m. to put it up, you make sure you're there at 10 a.m. next Tuesday. You will then get a good recommendation to their friends and people, and your business will grow and it will prosper. If you, spend half your time making up an excuse as to how you can't be there next Tuesday, which happens such a lot in Australia particularly. Um, If you can break away from that and actually deliver on time in full, you will be a successful business person. The third thing, of course, is margin. There is no point in being in business if you're not gonna make money. You're just an interference, you're you're a road bump, You know, why are you there? Why are you doing it? You know, so those are the three things you've got to have your brand, you've got to deliver, and you've got to make money. And and you know, like it it sounds simple, doesn't it? (laughs) Yeah, it's it's actually if you don't get those three right, you're not in business. You're not going to succeed in business. And by succeeding in business, I mean I've I've I don't even know the the term. It's not quadrupled. It's gazillioned or whatever you know, my investments in certain things. I mean, today, for example, I'll give you a, a crazy example. Today, because um, I have fingers in many pies just because it's what I do. Um, I, uh, I invested in a small food company uh, four years ago, invested a million dollars into it for 50% share. Um, today, we had an offer for 44 million. Um, I also have a phone call at half past eleven from an international food company that wants to buy another company that I have. It's, and I don't say that happens every day. But it's, that's the result of strategic thinking, positioning, marketing, the whole deal. <laughs> yeah. How do you make pet food look like fun? It's, it, it, on reflection, it's fun. Day to day, it's a challenge. And those are the things that that you're paid to do, is to overcome those challenges. Makes sense. Uh, well, I know, I know people would wish there was some button that you press or a code or some iPhone app that you get that tells you how to do it. I don't think it's there. And, not, and the interesting thing that I find interesting is that when I mix and mingle with people of a similar sort of journey in life, Uh, and have made great things or even done great things it's a very similar journey Mm. you know they work they start as an unknown and they work their arse off and they they go above and beyond where any man's been before or whatever and they create something that people want and people think they should have and and they become uh very humble with their success you know most good people are quite humble because mm. uh, we, we haven't quite figured it out why we've done it and nobody else has do you know what I mean like yeah. why didn't somebody else do fresh chilled pet food and go from investing you know having fucking 200 grand in the bank to selling it for 400 million and here's a good story I sold VIP pet foods for 400 million kept 10% of it right two years later we sold it for a billion now people say, oh, do you not wish <laughs> you'd kept it and sold it for a No, I don't, no. The time is right to sell it for 400, yep. invest in good things, invest in things that you know and understand, and you'll do well. So you're someone that
0: doesn't look back at it and-
1: Not nah, at all. Just keep going. Not at all, mate. no, no. It's the fear of looking back in motorsport is that you don't see anybody behind you, which obviously means you're last. Mm. So you don't want to be looking back. <laughs> so you bring it, bring it back to that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Always look forward. What was your first day of motorsport?
1: I, uh, my friend in Scotland was a mechanic for Vauxhall, and he was 10 years older than me. Wow. But I actually, as a young fella, I liked mixing with older people. Mm-hmm. I didn't really have uh, many friends that I can remember that were a similar age. I liked older people. It was a better sort of journey for me. And um, that's it. Harley Davidson is it? That's it's, all right, Adds a bit of background yeah. noise, it's fine. Um, but he said he had an Escort Mark 1, mm-hmm. GD 1300 or something. Uh, and there was a Gymkhana in a local town village thing in Scotland. And we both went down and I won the Gymkhana. I think I was 13 or 14 years old oh. or something like that. But it was, look, honestly, it was just a Gymkhana in and out of cones and stuff. Because I could drive when I was 10 years old. I used to drive uh, you know, tractors and shit like that, like lots of young guys. Yep. That's what we did. So at a very early age, I did that. And then, of course, I've always been competitive, so that was a plus. Um, and then I bought a Formula Ford in Scotland, Geordie, who was my mate, Geordie. He convinced me to buy this Formula Ford, and off we went. And the very first race I entered, and I would have been, by this time, I would have been 17 or something. Um, uh, it was at Ingleston, which was the only track in Scotland at that time. Knockhill wasn't built then. Right. That's how old I am. <laughs> um, and uh, I went there, and there was a lot of Formula Fords there, and I fucking qualified second. And uh, but nobody, I can't even tell you how it. I didn't win the race or anything, but I qualified second. And I have no idea how it did it. It was a good car. It was a Merlin, uh, sixty nine Merlin, I think it was, and I still have it to this day. I I gave it to Jordy mm-hmm. um, when I left Scotland, um, and then I I actually had a former Ford then that belonged to the Franchidis, who I know.
0: Right.
1: Um, and uh, I took that car to Australia, but I left the old car in Scotland, left it with Geordie, and said, Yeah, you can have it. I don't. I'm I'm on my way." Yeah. And uh, he said it was the worst thing I ever did to him because, of course, he he took it out, drove it, and got hooked. And he actually ended up winning the um, Scottish Formula Ford Championship, not in that car but um so he he blames me for costing my fortune to <laughs> yeah. get <Getting> into motorsport <laughs> um, but I don't know if I've answered that question when first day in motorsport yeah that's what I remember I remember yeah. the former Ford qualifying P2 and people saying who the who the fuck's he where did he come from um and I I enjoyed I didn't do uh, because I was working quite hard at that time too and I wasn't really I, re- I wasn't really um keen to make it a career I thought it was good fun yeah. but I enjoyed making money as well and motorsport was spending money and uh, and the, the, the turning point for me in motorsport was in Scotland at Ingolston um, it was a former Ford race and to, to, to give the listeners a bit of an insight um, In those days, there would have been 30 to 40 cars arrive for the practice qualifying and only 24 fitted on the grid. And so it was only the top 24 or the best 24 that that got to race. The other guys had to go home. And I remember thinking all these guys that are in the 30s and 40s what the hell are they they're too old to go racing think <laughs> <You> know <laughs> thinking, what? they shouldn't even bother coming but yeah anyway uh, this guy was there he appeared this day he had an american accent he was a handsome man a uh, young fellow a bit older than me and um, but he just won something in italy but we didn't care like no interest to us in scotland that's yeah. you know that's the italian's great <laughs> um but um and the cameras were following him about a bit, you know, so he was obviously some but they gave him they gave him a car, uh, a crossley, which was an Irish form of Ford. Not a great car, an average car, you know. Anyway, the first race he absolutely blitzed us. And people need to understand that in those days there was no Motec or data or anything. Um, we basically just drove these things. We could just the right height and rake and stuff like that. But really, there was you just drove these things. Um, there wasn't even adjustable shocks or nothing like that. No. And um, this guy had never been to the track before, and um, he blitzed it, all of us. The second race, he, away he went, and we were catching him. And I don't know what was going through the other guy. I mean, I was, I think, in about third or fourth. And Stewie Lawson was second, and Stew ended up on top of this guy across the finish line because in Ingleston in the finish line was on a curve would you believe <laughs> back in the day um, and anyway his name was Eddie Cheever right now Eddie went on to F1 and Indy and stuff like that and at that moment right there after that second race something inside me said you are not going to make this your career this you're just yeah. You know, whilst you're good and you won prize money and stuff like that you're not good enough to make this a career so i actually remember going well you know i need to fucking focus on something <laughs> and so i virtually walked away from it basically um and i was making signs then so um i dealt with the oil companies and there was a massive oil boom going on globally back in the late 70s and a um, guy from Chevron, uh, uh, which is BP, um, I said to him, where are you guys going next? Because I want to be where you guys are. Wherever the Americans are going, I want to be, because you make good money. And um, he said, we're going to Australia. We're going to Perth, Western Australia. And without any Google Wi-Fi information, going to the library or whatever, I went home and said, uh, okay, we're off to Perth, Western Australia. And that's true. And one of the craziest things I did was follow through on that. Um, the wife at the time was seven months pregnant, and uh, we, we just took off. And, uh, and uh, I spent four years in Perth, um, On in hindsight, depressed, clinically depressed. If, if that was today, and you went to the doctor because you just didn't know what was going on, you know, you're a bit foggy, um, you would be prescribed some depression pills or whatever. Because what I, I left something highly successful and vibrant and bloody really booming, um, to come to Australia. And to be honest, the oil guys never came. And when they did come, they came to Port Hedland,
0: and
1: which yeah. is two and a half thousand Ks away. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like it wasn't Perth. And and War so, elephant. So yeah, and so I actually ended up going right back to basics and ended up um, mowing lawns, actually. Um, in Western was, Australia? Yeah, I was called the Lawn Ranger. Yeah, which was a bit of a cowboy thing back then. But um, it's all in me book. Uh, so, oh, I don't know where you want to, just you jump in wherever you want to go. But later in life, much later in life, um, uh, everybody has got a great story to tell. And you know it doesn't matter if you're highly successful or whatever, the most valuable thing that you will leave your family and and descendants is your story. It doesn't need to be a book. It can be a diary. It can be a few pages. It can be whatever. But that is the thing that will live on for the next 50 years after your dead. People will want to read what old Uncle Albert did and how he got here and what he did for a job and, you know, all of that stuff. And so I decided when I was in my late 50s, Um, to write a book because my grandfather, who was Irish um, was in the IRA, which is the army that fought the English Um, and in the 70s they were naughty, they were bombing each other I don't think he ever was a bomber or anything but he was definitely in the IRA and when he died um, there was no record or there was just a few vague stories about what he'd done and what he'd got up to and so I thought, what a waste of a life. You know, he he died and it didn't leave anything like silver spoons or anything. He just died and then it, it, his story went with him. So I was determined. I actually spoke to my own dad at the time and said, God, you know, we need to write this down because we've all had interesting lives. Even if you think you've had a shite life,
0: mm. you've
1: probably had quite an interesting life to your family. And so I decided that I would write down my story and... Um, not a book but a story and i i couldn't do it myself because i didn't i didn't have time and i didn't have the the proper skill set um and so a red bull magazine did an article on me at highlands in new zealand and it was such a good article um it was probably one of the best articles because when you speak to media or journalists or whatever they quite often don't get the right story mm. um, and they delve into your past and they Google you and you, they take bits from there and add bits on. it. It's kind of it's a shortcut to the story. But anyway, this guy called Robert Toy, he did a great article and I phoned him up and said, mate, that's a really good article, well done. Um, would you be interested in writing my story for me? And he says, well, I, I'm a freelance journalist. I don't, don't know yep. what that means, but yeah, so we actually um it took 18 months, and uh, we had a meeting every month or three weeks and revised and went forward. And bits of, And during this, this, the process, Robert um, had thought it was such a good story that more people should hear about. And, and uh, so I said, you yeah, know, well, it's not really, that's not the purpose of it. But anyway he went to penguin and penguin said nah it's just another motorsport story it's not about motorsport it's it's like 20 percent about motorsport (laughs) the rest is about you know life and and things and uh, anyway it it got released and uh i kid you not mate it was the best seller in new zealand for six weeks wow back it must be about five years ago or something and still to this day people People come up and, and talk about the book and stuff like that. So that's one of my life's secret sort of things that I've done that I'm really proud of. And and again, you know, I, I can leave my children, grandchildren, people on the street, you know, a million dollars, ten million dollars, whatever it is. That won't last. More often than not, that'll disappear and it'll cause trouble and all the rest of it. The thing that will survive is the story.
0: And, that, sense, and that's yeah. why
1: everybody, I believe everybody, doesn't matter what walk of life you, you come from or whatever, to write down your story, because so much happens to people in their lives um, that needs a little bit of explanation, you know, because future generations go, well, why didn't he bloody just go into the desert and find a lump of gold? That's what everybody did back then. you know. It's,
0: yeah, yeah it's
1: we'll a make a TikTok thing. video. A t- there yeah. you go. I mean, honestly, as you heard, I was just on the phone to my Mike before um, because he's actually building a drift car for me. That's a bit of a secret thing. You're the, okay. you're the, the scoop. You oh. got the scoop <laughs> there. Um, and he's got a very interesting story. He's he is a he's a great guy, and um, I I admire him a lot. And I said to him, How do you make your money? Like you know, how how can you survive in this terrible business? And uh, he survives with YouTube. Um, stuff, videos. I, I don't understand it, so yeah. I don't. I, I wouldn't profess to, to tell people how to do that. But yeah, he. Um, I think he's got 1.8 million followers or something, and he keeps him alive. And you know, I, I've uh, I've spoken to my mate quite a bit, um, and helped him out quite a bit throughout his career. Um, and you know, our latest project. And I'm not. I don't think I'm telling any stories here, but. His young son, Link, Lincoln, is going to be a superstar. And I think that's where my, Mike is putting most of his um, effort into at wow. the moment. Yeah, and, and it's important for someone like uh, Mike to have a future plan, um, because motorsport, like most professional sports now, are, it's a short gig. Mm. You know, you either end up on the bloody streets or on TV or radio or whatever. but. You know, it, it's you've got to work hard at it, even when you
0: stop playing football or whatever. It's the work doesn't stop. And and the lifespan, like uh, you look at uh, Jamie Winkup. Mm-hmm. he's around my age. He must be thirty seven or something. yeah. He's retired from full time racing. Yeah. Like that's, I think this is the start of that turning point of, like Dick Johnson was racing mid fifties, like yeah, you know, in the supercar yeah. world. Yeah. Um, now Jamie Winkup, still at the top of his game it's such a short I know we had many
1: discussions about that I
0: can can imagine you do because obviously you've got an interest in that but um it's 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 intriguing isn't it because it's like a a changing point of that too it's such a short span where you get to succeed uh,
1: absolutely mate and obviously it's part of his story right Mm. I mean people would look back and go why didn't he keep going he could have kept going you know but no that's his story and he's uh he is a good guy Mm. um not just obviously he's a great driver but he is a smart cookie, and uh, that's one of the reasons that um, I'm happy with my investment in Triple Eight. Um, I think we're going to do quite well with Jamie at the helm. I think it'll we'll be fine. I mean, the f- we all know the first mistake he makes; geez, the the media is going to come down on For him. Sure. Um, but that's where I'll try and support if I can, or whatever.
0: It's yeah. It, it, he's you don't get to succeed like that without being smart.
1: Well, you know, I mean, I think Jamie's. Jay, Jamie, like any great sports person, you have to come to the game with an edge, mm. right? And if you look back, I think Jamie came to the V8 circus with the edge of being a triathlete. You know, every day he would swim, run, and cycle. Yeah. Now, guys, his peers, you know, like, um, say Russell Ingle, he wouldn't go to the bloody gym. Russell wouldn't go to the gym. No no chance. Paul Morton, no, not doing that. So Jamie came into the... The V8 ranks as an athlete, you know, mm. like as, a, as a, an, a separate athlete, if that makes yep. sense. And that, I believe that's where he had the edge on everybody. Now, nowadays, um, everybody's doing it. Yes. So that edge is gone, right? So somebody, the next, Shane, if you look at Shane, I mean, he's just a country boy that can bloody drive. He's the young Jim Richards, mm. he can drive anything at any time for anybody just, he just wants to drive it yeah and he's such a talent and he can obviously feel and, and his dad is a is a great driver as well so you know i, I think in chains uh, kind of got the age now scotty mclaughlin he's got the edge. you know they're all good drivers from sure. from p25 <laughs> to p1 they're all good drivers but you just need to have that sparkle or something about you
0: do you think like as, as a driver yourself and and that, do you think uh, the seat time, like you look at Shane, gets to drive so many different vehicles. It's got to help, doesn't it, as well? Yeah,
1: yeah. I think so. Yeah. I mean, I
0: think if it's your job, yeah.
1: if you're a builder, the more houses you build, you've got to get better at it, haven't you? Or, yeah. You know, you're a plumber, the more toilets you plumb up, you'd yep. be bloody smart. We're on the toilets already. I tried to avoid toilets. Yeah, I have seen stuff. Toilet.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the Toilet King. But uh, I, uh, I did watch, uh, I watched um, a news piece about Ireland. Island, yeah, 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 about yeah. the um, bathrooms. I haven't been there yet, but uh, I was over at uh, the Burt Munro Classic yeah, in yeah, yeah, um, yeah. 20, just as we got struck down, just uh-huh. so you guys have come back to yeah, South yeah, Africa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, we were trying to get to there, but it was pretty flooded um, yeah, through okay. the back of uh, Dunedin across to... Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so. yeah,
1: I mean, New Zealand is God's own country. Honestly, I love yeah. it to bits and I think it's a great place. Um, The weather's great, the people are great, the food's great, the toilets are clean. I mean, what else do you need in a country? Um, But um, obviously, we can't get there at the moment. And, uh, you know, with Highlands, I just, um, there's a whole story with Highlands. But basically, I got asked by four original investors who had spent seven years getting resource consent to build this racetrack, and they were going to build a little you know, a little track with a tin shade thing just for club stuff. Yeah. And I said, uh, well, if you sell your rights to me, you know, sell the land and sell all the work that you've done to me, I'll build you a track that you'll be proud of. And, uh, you know, I think at the time, they thought, oh, yeah, because they had spent seven years and they were all exhausted. Yeah. And so I was a new blood coming in. I didn't want, they wanted me to be a shareholder, but I'm not a good, Partner like that—that's very few people can keep up. Mm-hmm. So I said, "Look, honestly, you guys come with me for the journey, but you know I'll make it happen." And we built Highlands in twelve months, wow. and it was just incredible. And was, there's lots of funny stories with Highlands, and I mean the one that sort of puts it in context was um, this thing came out of the ground, and nobody knew really who Tony Quinn was. And there was a lot of doubt in the village, you know, because Cromwell at that time was a small town, right. big village, small town. And who's this guy? Who who the hell would do that? Why would, who, drug money. It must be drug money or wow. tax evasion or he's a dodgy <laughs> character, whatever. <laughs> whatever it was, because all those stories were proved to be totally, you know, untrue. Um, and as it was coming out of the ground, uh, all the doubters were being proved wrong and stuff and, then, of course, people change, don't they? They say, oh, I, I knew that was, I, yeah, I've spoken to them. I, knew all, I know all about them. I've, I've met them at least. <laughs> the big bang. And Motorsport New Zealand came to me because this is the most unusual track that was built for a long time. Um, and said, oh, look, I see what you're doing here, um, but you haven't applied for a license. And I said, yeah, I, I don't really want a license. I don't need a license. And they said, but how are you going to have races? I said, I don't care. I don't really care for races. I'm just building this thing. It's going to be fun. And it's going to be like a golf course. And I'm going to have members. I think that's how I'm going to do it. If I want to go racing, I can go to the other racetracks. Or I race in Australia, a race in the Nürburgring, go to Sepang, Dubai, Spa. I can go racing there. You know, This is just my thing. This is a thing I'm building the Ireland. Beautiful place. Anyway, they said, oh, look, you know, it's, you're doing quite a good job. It's four kilometers. It's, you know, it's just ideal. Um, do you think you could put you know, an application in? And I said, well, how the heck am I going to get a license? I said, we're going we're to go through the forest, not just once, but twice. We're going to have a bridge and a tunnel. Well, that's just not allowed anymore. Yeah. And we're going to be, t- you know, part of the track is going to be 25 meters from a lake. How are you going to pass all that? (laughs) And um, anyway, they uh, took it on board, and and, I've applied. They said, so long as you make... There was a certain part of the track that was only going to be nine meters wide. Mm -hmm. And they said, look, if you can make that 12 meters wide, uh, track C, we call it, um, we can have a look at the application and blah, blah, blah. So anyway, that's what happened. But then the permit, the license permit thing uh, for the track... They didn't actually give it to me until after the first race meeting. Really? Yeah, because I think they were scared that something was going to happen, or do you know what I mean? Yeah. Risk averse. Um, but ever since then, of course, Highlands has been um, has been an absolute pride and joy to to own and operate. I have marvelous people there that do a marvelous job, and it's actually spawned um, which what w- what known internally as the Popeye Legacy Um, and that's then spawned the the Academy at Hampton Downs and now the TQ Foundation in New Zealand that is set up so that it'll operate long after I'm gone um, to help and provide a pathway for young Kiwis to aspire in motorsport in many different forms um, throughout the world. And so that's where, in case anybody's wondering where I'm gonna hide me wealth or whatever, that's probably where um, it's gonna be looked after that whole thing uh, when I'm dead and gone. And now with the three tracks in New Zealand, um, uh, Hampton Downs and Taupo as well, um, it's just a marvelous legacy to leave. Uh, and I feel very privileged to
0: have had that journey. Well, like, was that your first racetrack? At highland to, yeah to invest into yeah yeah it's, i mean i
1: don't know like i've never been a great one for homework and i was clever enough at school yeah but i never did a lot of homework and uh uh it's the same in business I, I i can go into a factory or an environment and smell if it's successful and we as we came up the stairs here today um in the harley-davidson shop um I can smell and we talked about the atmosphere and stuff and it's very good and you can immerse yourself in the business and and it smells of success and you know that that's a good thing and and so I just thought it was a good idea to build a racetrack yeah (laughs) there's a bit more to it than that for sure
0: yeah yeah no it's uh, it's and then obviously Hampton Downs came second Hampton Downs came second a distant second
1: um Hamden Downs uh, was $35 million in debt. Wow. And the bank, like most racetracks, most racetracks, um, uh, I don't know how to say this, but a lot of people build racetracks for the wrong reasons in the wrong place because their choices are limited. Mm. And all they're doing is thinking about racing. Um, If you look at Highlands, uh, it's, it's a, yeah, it's a racetrack. But it's a tourist attraction that has the odd race. It has, yeah, it has uh, I don't know three or four races a year. I don't, I don't even know. Yep. Um, but it has 500 members that uh, that enjoy the facility, yep. and we have tourists coming in and out. We have a museum. We have all sorts of things. Go-karts. We have all sorts of things going on. So um, it's it's built for the business. And uh, Hamden Downs is nothing other than um an industrial racetrack mm-hmm. uh, that has 90 acres of industrial land around it that um it owns that um will be sold and will pay back the track three or four times you, do you know what i mean yep um so you've got to have another reason for having a racetrack. i think mm. a commercial reason for sure you can have a passionate reason and you know we swing back into queensland raceway Purely commercial, purely just yeah. You know, it, it's a it's a track that's been um, that's been poorly looked after. And we're going to invest in it, bring it up to standard. It'll it'll make a return on investment, but you know uh, it won't. It doesn't have land to sell or anything like that. But I just couldn't I couldn't stand by and let it mm. go the way it was going.
0: With with race tracks, and you've been really upfront with everything. Mm. so like through the throughout do you does like you obviously own the complex but is that on like a lease from the how does that work is this queensland? Say, say queensland raceway for instance like is that like a hundred year lease but you own that yeah everything? so
1: i mean when you lease stuff from this the government or council yep. or whatever it's basically just well in most cases it's a land lease right so you lease the land um which usually comes with quite a small rent i mean qr's 50 or 60 grand a year right Mm -hmm. and that's the rent for the the land that you sit on yeah everything else that's on the land belongs to you okay now the trouble with the racetrack is it's very difficult to take that away with you when you leave yeah so basically um you need to get on with the landlord they need to go on with you and it needs to be a, a good relationship and and on and on it goes and eventually uh it it would end up with back with the ipswich city council if if, you know, me as the least, or decided not to carry on with it yep. and nobody wanted to buy it or whatever reason, it would just end up back at um, Ipswich uh,
0: City Council. The time comes that everyone's just doing e-sports. And
1: it, <laughs> um, yeah, but, you, know. you know, like, um, if you look at horses, right? Mm-hmm. We all used to have horses uh, riding about the town and up and down the hills and stuff, and horses would never be replaced. And it took a while, but they were replaced. But horse racing is still a massive business, sure. and employs a heap of people. You know, so I think having a having a venue that you could go that you can go and challenge uh, yourself and Mother Nature and the the forces of uh, physics, um, you know, safely
0: is has got a future and never be replaced
1: um yeah i mean uh, in, hey, that's it's very important if you're in business um and uh, you know i remember when fax machines came in uh to vogue um i said what's the point of that there's no point in that you just pick oh. up the phone and you order your whatever you want and just do it by phone oh yeah but it saves you from all that wasting time about saying how's the weather up and such how, how you doing? Saves all that time. And I said, the day that we can't be civil and social to each other is a bad day for humanity. <laughs> so factors will never work, but they did. <laughs> they did. Yeah. Look what so, got to, I don't. <laughs> well, I don't get it right all the time. See, yep. you know, okay. I'm not not 100 percent, man. I'm a 95 percent man.
0: I like something you said before about um, about Highland Major Sport Park. Was um, you said about golf courses? Mm-hmm. and when you're talking about it that's that's sort of like the the idea isn't it a little bit like yeah. people that play golf take really a lot of pride in their facility yeah. it's a membership base yep. sounds exactly the same as a race it track. is
1: it is and uh, you know like uh, some of some of our members like playing golf as well and mm. they're a member at michael hill's place down the down the road um but you know it's it's just an it's a different kind of membership and you know we we are fortunate enough to have a lot of kiwi superstars global superstars that all make themselves available um if they're back on holiday it's summer um they're they're very keen to come and talk to the members and uh, give them updates and stuff like that um so the member it's more than just it's it's a it's a good club Mm. you know it's a special kind of club that the people enjoy and you know the members, the membership model in New Zealand is the most important element at all of our tracks. Wow! You know it's it's not keeping the FIA happy or or having the local you know Auckland car company Jamboree, whatever. That's just an event. The most important element at our tracks are the members, and they know that. And they're told that.
0: Yeah, I can could, I could imagine it'd be uh, well spoken about. Yeah, with the, with the uh, New Zealand per capita, they put uh-huh. out some stars, don't they? Oh, it's amazing. Man. Yeah, honestly. But see, so I've been fortunate enough yep. to
1: live and work and succeed in three countries. Mm. You know, Scotland, where I was successful, I worked there, grew up there, um, lived in New Zealand for nine years, and I've lived in Australia for over 30 years. Um, I love New Zealand, I love the people, they're very much a can-do race of people. And it's because, I think it's because they can't go out into the desert, dig up a mountain that they never planted and nurtured and watered and looked after. They harvest this mountain and sell it off overseas for huge money and huge royalties, which is a great asset for the government, I mean really an awesome thing. In New Zealand, they got to work for every dollar they, earn, you know, as a, as a country. Yeah. And so it just changes the, the attitude and the behavior of the inhabitants, really, mm. <laughs> you know. And uh, that's why I say that a can-do race of people and, uh, you know, you give a, a challenge to Kiwi and they'll put their heart, uh, they'll do a good job. And so I think that contributes to the per capita, how do they do so well. It's no different if we look at the Olympics. Australia does really well at the summer Olympics. Yeah. You yeah, know, does really well per capita. Mm. Does does a great job. Um and and you know, in Australia we invest in in tennis, we invest in most sports. Um we don't invest in motorsport much at all. Um but in New Zealand, uh there's been a long tradition of wealthy uh Kiwis uh, I'm thinking Sir Colin Giltrap who's supported, you know, everybody from Scott Dixon to Hayden Pat. You know, they, he's supported everybody personally.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and really, the TQ Foundation is is a is an extension of that. Not taking anything away from those the Goldtraps. great job, PJ, Kenny Smith. All these guys that have done a great job in the past. But what I've tried to do in New Zealand is is give them a formal um, path, roadway that a young kid could actually follow and be helped. If they've got the skill and the attitude, yeah. um, they can actually have a, a path You know, 50% predetermined for them. The rest is up to them. You know I mean? Uh, Dick Bennett is a good friend of uh, the membership at Highlands. You know, he was Ayrton Senna's team manager. He, he's got West Surrey mm-hmm. Racing in, in the UK. and I mean, it's a phone call away. Yeah. Um, Liam Lawson, who's the latest prodigy that we've sort of sent off overseas, <laughs> you know, uh, he's going to be a Red Bull superstar, I'm sure.
0: It's just um, having those doors absolutely. just opened, not it? And, yep.
1: and you know, you know, like we were talking in the beginning, you know, like surrounding yourself with good people, you know, it's it's so important. And delivering. Mm. There's no point in a door opening and you don't deliver. Yeah. And that, that's when the responsibility gets transferred to the participant you know
0: when you were building the first facility what venues did you like you obviously seen other venues around you've been yeah, to lots yeah, of races yeah we've, what was
1: good we'd driven lots of racetracks around the world and obviously i mean people say what's the best track in the world there is no doubt in my mind that it's the nurberg ring yeah i right. mean it ticks every box so you do the 24-hour nurberg ring which we did five times um and i think i still think we're the only Kiwi uh, Aussie team to finish in the top 10. We finished ninth twice, I think it was, which is a monumental um, task to do. And we were fairly recognized with that in Germany. I mean, we were quite well known in Germany at, at that time, because I don't know if you know, but the last hour of the Nürburgring 24 hour, um, each top 10 guy gets about 10 minutes of national TV. They do a bit of a lap, you wow. know, uh, following them in the last hour, the top 10. So we were well known in Germany. <laughs> this black car with the yellow paw prints on it, the VIP car. Um, so the the, the Nurburgring is is an awesome track. You couldn't yeah. build it today, but yeah, it, because of its heritage, it's it's awesome. Um, and a lot of the other tracks have got good corners. Although I find that a lot of the modern tracks are way too sterile, mm. way too boring and fast. To be honest, and um, you know, like you bring back Oram Park, you know, like going over the dog leg at Oram Park and up into that, you know, the last turn, that was that was a great corner. You didn't know what was on the other side. You knew what was kinda there, but you didn't know what was gonna meet you on the other side. Yep. And and that's why we built Highlands the way we did. Right. Um we wanted to incorporate it as an absolute challenge. And I mean I I was so honored about I, I guess it must be about five years ago, when totally un, uncoerced or unbiased or whatever, um, Shane Van Gisbergen was asked, you know, what's the best tracks in the world? And he'd driven Spa and, you know, all that stuff. And he voted Highlands as the number one. Now, that didn't cost me a penny. I didn't pay for that or really. anything. Yeah. <laughs> that wasn't <laughs> bribery. But when you drive Highlands, the good thing about it is that every corner you turn around, you see a different view. You know, there might be a spaceman with three, three spacemen standing out of a spaceship or the mountain view with the snow on top or wow. the lake. It's, it's just, it's a magnificent place. And I'm so proud to have created, uh, or fluked, whatever you want to call it, um, created this um, marvelous thing. Now remember, we did the first 101 there with the Australian GT guys. And Mark Coffey, who was the Ferrari um, team boss, um, I saw him in the uh, in the corner and he was just gazing into the horizon. And Mark's from Melbourne, of course. And I said, what's up, Mark? And he says, mate, how long has this been? I didn't even know this place existed. Wow. <laughs> he said, I've travelled all the way to Europe and all around Europe and... The, and he said, this is three hours from Melbourne, and what a beautiful place. Like the whole, that central Otago mm. is just beautiful. And another uh, compliment was uh, Stefan Rattel, who's the boss of um, GD3 Global. He was there, he's been there a couple of times, and he stood up at the, well, it was his turn to talk, at the FIA conference in Geneva, wherever it was. And he stood up having visited Highlands that year, he stood up and said, Guys, if you're ever in New Zealand you must go to us. <laughs> wow. Yeah in front of everyone. So yeah, 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 yeah. So those those sort of moments in time, uh, you know, have a big impact on me. Um, just as um I, I suppose it's just um kudos, it's it's certification that you're doing the right thing or whatever it is, yep. It's a real pleasure to be be involved in that. And and get the bulk of the credit for it although you know there's a massive not massive but there's a marvelous uh, team that works with me and, and uh, alongside so
0: now with motorcycling over there yeah it's it's big like it's, it's a it's big big community Pretty
1: dangerous i mean let's just be frank here for sure um you know motorcycling just I, this one starts yeah, yeah but that's, that's fine. i just think you guys are crazy I just think, I I watch them on the track, and I go, oh my God, like, you know, and I like going fast, and I just did the target, high country target, just at the weekend here. And, you know, we're doing 200Ks an hour, uh, big gum trees, and the side of the road, and I'm thinking, oh, this is a bit stupid, which it is, you know, you you start thinking, wow, what are we doing this for? (laughs) But, equally, I think motorbikes, I think, God, guys, it's just you. You've got a leather suit, you know, That's it. on. But I, I must admit, I think that motorsport has done a reasonably good job of recognising issues. And I don't know where the motorbike guys are with the, um, you know, that things that blow up on their backs. The airbag it. suits, yeah. Man, if that's not compulsory, it should be. Mm. I mean, I think that's a great thing. And if, if my son was motorbike racing, absolutely, it would be the first thing I'd buy him or my grandson or whatever. Um, because I just think you're, you're very brave, um, going out in a, you know, thousand cc motorbike or whatever it is, or even a five hundred cc motorbike, and uh, going at the speeds that they're going and tilting it in and scraping the knees and elbows and stuff. I take my hat off to them. I could not do it. Mm-hmm. I, I couldn't do it. And uh, the guys that can do it, good on them.
0: But you don't despise motorbikes, do you?
1: No. Look, it's. These, these comments come up, yeah. and they're quoted from people that have never met me. Yeah. They've never listened to me, um, but yet they come out with these statements. And you see it all the time on Box, you know, or Google, or whatever it is, yep. or on the website, whatever. You've got all these people having an opinion that seems to gather momentum. Not at all. Motorcyclists are very important to the success of a racetrack let's make no mistake about that yeah they are a very important ingredient uh that leads to the success and the prosper you know, To to help a racetrack prosper um you need to have motorbikes absolutely now highlands doesn't have motorbikes and that's not by my rules um i think go for your life if you think if you think that's what you want to do, yep. have a crack. But I think it's just the general community are just, to be honest, scared mm. because they just think, no, we're not going to go around there for three laps without having a major accident. So they choose not to do it at Highlands, but at Hampton and Taupo, a very big uh, cycling community, and obviously at Queensland Raceway too. So no, no, cyclists are, yeah, you know, um, motorcyclists, are most welcome and, you know, a very important part of the business, for this sure. And, you know, to that end, we've, uh, we've got uh, Australian uh, superbikes coming in March, I think. And long may that continue. And certainly with uh, Queensland Raceway, people say, oh, are you going to change the track? you're Yes, we are going to change the track, um, mainly for the motorbikes. Wow. Um, we're still going to it's very difficult to change the track at Queensland Raceway because you're bound by the the amphitheater thing that you've got. Um, and to to go outside of the the boundary, uh, you would have to cross the Ebenezer Creek, which you know some estimates are you know, between six and ten million dollars to build a, a causeway over the creek, so the, you know for the one and hundred year flood that could happen type thing you know how it goes wow. um, so that's, that restricts that, that length uh, of track uh, being, being grown but it certainly doesn't restrict us from making Queensland Raceway more challenging for
0: certain types of vehicles uh, motorbikes mainly I rode there Sunday Yeah. Yeah. so uh, I did track day on Sunday afternoon okay. there because yeah. it's still fun that's the thing. People- well,
1: you know, like, it's, it's a common thing. Like, people come up and say, oh, it's a boring track. And I say, oh, so you've got the lap record. And they go, no. Mm. I said, well, how the hell can it be boring? If you- Until you break the lap record, yep. don't tell me it's boring because you obviously haven't achieved that lap record status mm. yet. And I said, there's a good reason why the two top V8 teams in Australia uh, practice there. And they can take the learnings from Queensland Raceway and adapt it for every track in Australia. And that's why the two top teams uh, practice at Queensland Raceway and do very well everywhere else. So look, I think, and I know myself, I've been raced there. In a fast car, um, there's plenty to do. And it's not boring, right? Yeah. In a slow car, I can appreciate that you know, it's, it's kind of slow I would, or boring, I get that. Hence, um, if I can just sort of try and explain it to you. Um, so turn one, turn two, because they, the motorbike guys quite like them. Yeah. Um, and then after turn two, go through the dipper, mm-hmm. do four and five, because mm-hmm. they like them as well. And then from five, turn left and do a, a flip-flop back onto the straight out of three, if that makes sense. Yeah. And then back through the wiggly bit at the bottom and back on the onwards.
0: shortcut. Part yeah, yeah, yeah. There. The yeah. back into part. six. Yeah, yeah,
1: but we'll make that shortcut piece a uh, first gear hairpin. Wow. Yeah. So you'll have to do that. So that I would imagine. I think plans for that are probably September, October. Yep. Yeah. For this year. So and, you- and sorry, um, and then we're also putting in the lights. Look, I'd love to go to the government and say, give me thirty million. Sydney Motorsport, and I'll put in some lights. Yeah, I won't have time for that. I don't think, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, if they can keep up, that's fine. But we'll put in lights um, that are um, appropriate uh, and we want to grow the nighttime activities at Queensland Raceway starting in September this year. Wow. So uh, I I think um, I think there's a great opportunity there, particularly for young people and working people um to enjoy their hobby or whatever maybe in the evenings and you know the friday night drift thing is is quite popular when it happens um the roll racing on a saturday night is quite popular and let's be honest um you know it, it does take a certain element off the off the the streets of which sure. particularly but we can grow that into jamborees or whatever it is and you Know a big disco boom box. I don't know, I mean, it's not for me, but I'm certainly uh, into making the business um, a, appeal to a, a larger crowd.
0: So, the lights that are currently there, mm-hmm. I, I did a track day of a the night time there in October. It's going to be a lot better than that,
1: yeah. It, it will be better, but I can promise you it will not be like Sydney Motorsport Park. Okay, yeah, I actually think I've raced at Sydney at night. Okay. And I think it's awful. I think you may as well just come on Sunday morning at nine o'clock.
0: It's, yeah, right.
1: There's no night element at all.
0: Is it that bright?
1: Yeah. I've raced at Nürburgring, obviously, and yep. spa and all these places. And at night, it's night, right? It's not. Yeah, it's right? There isn't a, a light to be seen. Yeah. Um, and that, that adds a, a, a fantastic element for me, a fantastic challenge um but i get that we should have some lights um but it will not be bright starky lights it'll be it'll be a challenge yeah if, if you don't want that challenge don't come at night
0: it's quite simple isn't it yeah man like...
1: we're back to this yeah. same thing keep it simple it's it's pretty simple and and you know um it's all right for authorities to come and say oh you've got to be at so many lumens and this that, interview that's fine but we actually have to entertain the competitors and whoever's watching the competitors. Yeah. That's more important. Um, yeah, equally important, put it like that. It's gotta be safe, whatever we do, has gotta be safe. And uh, the older I get, the more relevant that statement becomes. Uh, when you're younger, you're, you're obviously, you know, you're not aware of all the, you're not aware of death. To be fair, you, you just don't think it's coming to you. And as you get older, you get so disappointed because you know death's coming, and you want to try and avoid it if you can. So you start doing things that are less risky, yep. and uh, that's just Mother Nature's way of of uh, letting you continue to
0: breathe. It's like a protector, yeah, a natural yeah, I mean, protector.
1: Yeah, and you know, like sadly, we've had a couple of deaths um, at Hampton Downs uh, during my reign, sort of um, both on motorbikes. Uh, and that's just the risk that the motorbike guys take. It's just, you know, uh, they should know that, that if something happens on the bike and uh, they're set loose or whatever happens without an airbag, suit, whatever it is, that should be, comp- I don't know if it, is it compulsory? No. It should be, mate. I mean, we're all forced to wear, and it's a good thing. You know, <laughs> we've all been forced to wear seatbelts in cars. and Hands device. Uh, hands device, absolutely. And it, Whether it saves lives, we can't be for sure, Um, but we know it could. And it's the same as the halo on the the F1 cars and every other single-seater car. Absolutely, you know, I mean, we need to move at great haste to make these things happen, not just have another committee meeting about it. It clearly has the potential to save a life, so why wouldn't we do it? You know, like I think you've been, I think, people the authorities whatever it is they they really need to look at what they're doing there and maybe have a finance program if it's yeah if people say oh we can't afford it or whatever it is you know it needs to form part of the 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 ticket to to join the circus you know
0: it's an interesting thing because you just got motorcycling australia licenses as of this week yeah now to go through those hurdles is usually quite a process as a rider I'd think my process would be just as hard. I think, I, you know, your you gear, I don't have to jump through hardly any hurdles mm-hmm. to, to ride on a track. Fair but a comment. track has to jump on yeah. so many hurdles to yep. have the track. Makes sense to take your own ownership of yourself sometimes, Mad, doesn't it?
1: absolutely. I mean, I, I, again, we're on a race suit, you know. Yeah. And, you know, I've been uh, at places where guys jump in cars with their race suits and helmets and stuff like that and usually there's somebody else sitting with them mm-hmm. that's the same attire. Yep. And they go out, and they don't drive around at 50 k's an hour. They're, they're showing off, or they're doing whatever they're doing. It's a risk. Mm. And predominantly, they're younger than 30, or at least 35. They're younger than that. And that's what I'm saying about getting older. Um, you know, the, the reality is that it's coming. The Grim Reaper's coming, but uh, this is not a depressing subject it's reality Mm. and you you, everybody should try and avoid it as much as they can
0: how'd the hurdles go with getting different license systems into the track
1: yeah um look there's always a discussion for sure and uh, to be honest sometimes it's a pissing contest right it's as simple as that um common sense should prevail sometimes it doesn't because the pissing contest gets out of control right Mm -hmm. that's the reality of dealing with authorities and you know um i have every um respect for what they do um and they're doing their job right yep but my point to them and i'm certainly not going to flout any safety laws and i get it right I, i absolutely get it but here's me i'm so bloody um I'm contradicting myself here because I go and do these target events, you know, like tarmac target rallies, Yes, And we have been known to have a few fatalities from time to time. Now whose fault it is it's quite often, you know, just self fault, you know, or you know, unfortunate circumstances or whatever. But if you look at that, we close our public road and it could be anything from five kilometers to, to forty kilometers long plus. Um, uh, it's FIA um, certified, sanctioned, um, and I know that every track that I own, the inspector comes every year, walks every metre of every track, and has something to say about every corner at every track, right? Wow. Um, and it usually ends up costing you a bit of money because you've got to do something, right, to be... And that's. That's fine, because you're continually improving the situation. But I say to them, how can you explain to me, and I don't know if I'm going to get into trouble here, but how can you explain to me, We, oh, I go and do Targa events, 20 kilometres long. You guys haven't even walked it. You haven't even stepped out of the car. You may have driven through it. There's culverts. There's farm gates. There's big trees. There's creeks. All sorts of things along that road. And yet, and I don't want that to be because it removes every bit of the challenge. How can that be? How can you use the laws for a circuit versus the laws for a, a rally stage? And a gravel rally stage is the same, but generally speaking, those cars are traveling a bit slower um so, and look, the Targa guys are doing a great job. And I'm pleased I'm not picking on that at all. I'm just saying that's the, con- the, the, the stark contrast that's, that exists. Yeah, um, but the term we're all uh, you know, we've got, now got a new imposed maximum speed. We've got restriction zones before dangerous. Con- yeah, so we are working towards it and I'm happy to contribute to all. We all do, actually, we all have our say, to be fair. Yep and we're slowly making it safer and safer. What's the max speed at the moment? Like? It's 200, it's just become 200. That was, so in New Zealand, it's been 200 for 15 years, maybe. Okay. Maybe more, um, and in Australia, we've only just done it this year. Um, I've been a, a supporter of that for at least a long time, um, but there was a fair bit of resistance from generally sort of the younger semi-pro guys not to restrict it. So anyway, look, we're moving on um, and we're improving it because if we don't improve it, uh, somebody's going to stop it. Yeah. And we don't want that. We, we, you know, we don't want to be all living in bubbles with all wearing the same clothes and same hairstyles and stuff like that. So no, I'm not having that
0: because it is we'll uh, all be
1: cockroaches.
0: Yeah. <laughs> just look at each other because <laughs> it is target like those target street style events, um, pikes, Really. um they're outlier events it's not something everyone would want to do even as a competitor a lot of people yeah. would but it's, I, it's on the
1: edge i don't know if you know but i've done pikes big three times just yeah. recently and uh that's it i'm not doing it again How come? um well um first of all i've got a fear of heights right a real fear of heights mm. and it really surprised me that when i went over i i think it was in june and i went over in may just to have a look, because I said to Harry, my chief mechanic guy, I said, I don't know if I can do it, mate. I, I think I'll have to stop halfway through and just stop. Anyway, I went over and hired a Mustang uh, recce car yep. and went up the hill. I, I thought, this is this is not bad at all. Mm. Got up at the top of the hill and got out of the car and was bre- breathless walking to the cafe thing, yep. and I thought, oh, this is a bit different. Um, Coming down is worse than going up. Because going up, it's basically, you know, you can choose to look over the side or you can look at the blue sky, which seems to be, you know, it's just blue, it's it's fine. And you're looking up and yep. onwards. Coming down, you can't help but look ahead of you. And you see bloody Arkansas in the distance and Alaska on the other side, and there's hairpins. Oh, Jesus. So coming down is a lot worse than going up for yep. me. Um, anyway, the first year we did it, and this is something that people would not understand. In fact, Mad Mike's doing Pike Peak this year. Ah. And so I've. So, uh, is that who's building your car? Mad Mike's building the car for me well? to drift. Yep. But he's building his own car for Pike's uh, Pike Peak, yeah. Um, and what you don't understand is that the first two years that we attempted to, to do it, um, we ran out of brakes. Because, and people say, well, you're going uphill. Why do you need brakes? Well, the reality is there's a fair few hairpins and you do need to brake all the way up yep. at certain corners. Um, and so we run out of brakes because the air just does not, the density of the air just doesn't have the same effect. So your brakes overheat yep. and it boils the fluid, even the CRF, castor, whatever it is, the spatial fluid, it boils it. So we actually had to, st- the first year I stopped halfway, I ran out of brakes. In the second year, I ran out of brakes, and I don't even think I made it to the finish line. But the third year, we had worked it all out, and instead of having two, three, you know, three-inch ducts going to the brakes, there were fucking six-inch ducts going to the brakes, you know, yep. to keep them cool. And I reached the top, and it was nine minutes fifty-two point seven. I remember that, uh, and it, it was just such a great feeling because not many people do it under ten minutes, and. I said, that's it, I'm out, I'm done, I don't need to come back here. And I love it, and I love the Americans, love the whole thing. But it's like having that last ski run, you know, it's the thing that you just don't do. Yeah. And um, there's a bit there that it's called the bottomless pit. I don't know if you've been up there. I was there your first year. Oh, were well, you? Yeah. 16, yeah. All right. Um, it's just scary as, I mean, honestly, it's a massive drop. And if you go over the edge, you know, you, you're, not, you're not sitting here doing this podcast. There's no way you're doing that. No. So, I mean, you've got, and it actually gets very fast and bumpy on the last section after the bit they call the devil's playground, because what happens in the winter is um, that the road, it all freezes, six feet of snow, and the road freezes and then they, it's a thing that's called frost heave. Okay, and so the road actually moves just as the as the ground um, freezes and then melts again, yep. and so the asphalt gets a wee bit bumpy. So up the very top where it sort of plateaus off, uh, and actually there's a bit that goes downhill, <laughs> um, it can be really bumpy. So I think each year you've got to set up the car um, a wee bit differently. Um, and to put things in perspective, when Sebastian Loeb went there and took a minute off the existing time. Um, he spent a month there, sold 30 days solid, with helicopters, 30 engineers, um, all sorts of gizmos going on. He was yeah. up there every day. Um, but he did a marvelous job, and th- nobody knows, but the theory is that the that, that car had active suspension in it with a GPS it changed the suspension for every corner and stuff like that so he was just that was an amazing feat for him to do that and when you see the in-car footage it looks so easy but I'm telling you he did a marvellous job and then when I was there um, the last couple of years I was there uh, Roman Dumas was there with the Volkswagen electric car Mm -hmm. and took another minute off Sebastian's time. so, so it's buggered now I mean nobody nobody with a Petrol nah. engines ever going to do any better. Um, but that's just progress. And uh, no that was a great event. But I'm sure you're not going to ask me, but I'm going to tell you um, the best motorsport event as a competitor is the Nürburgring 24 hour. Yeah. The best motorsport event as a casual competitor is Goodwood uh, Festival in uh, in England. Yep. And I did that a couple of years. Uh, I did that the last year before COVID. In I, I had two cars. I had the Pikes Peak car yep. there, and I also had uh, I own Michael Schumacher's Benetton 91, I think Benetton. Um, and they were having a Michael Schumacher festival, and I was privileged. You know, I drove that as well, and it's an amazing thing for anybody that's interested in motorsport. Um, the people, everybody that anybody is there and they're all willing to talk to you. It's a, it's a fantastic village festival feel and nobody's got any point to prove. We're all there because of some reason, we've done well in some discipline or whatever, yep. and the public are there and we all welcome it. And you know, like, It's just a, an amazing thing. And I remember when I drove the, sh- the Schumacher car up the hill, um, there was Rene Arnoux next to me and Jackie Stewart next wow. And then all these other guys, it's like that's just you know, that's the best event that I've ever done. And of course, you know, one would love to emulate that in some fashion or other at a track like Lakeside, for example. Yes. You know, but that that that's a bit of a journey to get to there. But and it's actually convenient because like our our in New Zealand our summer racing series is in january february and that's when europe sort of shuts down and so in new zealand we have plans to have the historic grand prix at taupo and uh, you know invite some of these europeans and americans to come down and enjoy the the kiwi culture for a month or so so
0: that'd be brilliant so, wouldn't it yeah 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 have you ever been to ledwood festival yeah. yeah i was
1: there the first or second time i would i uh, had my nissan gdr the Targa car yeah and uh oh it's great i mean rod's a good a good uh, soul good guy interesting stories you know mm. full stories. and um and reese uh millen helped me a f- fair bit at pike's peak right yep not in the first year not on the second year, but on the third year. <laughs> Gee. <laughs> well, I think it's it's like any sport. Competitors. It's competitors. Yep. You know, not going to help you. But I'll tell you a funny story about Leadfoot. So we went to Leadfoot and he did a great job. And his wife, Christine, I think she's an American, Californian. And she's just full on, you know, full on catering and snacky things. and yep. All that entertainment stuff, right? And we're all there and we're all mixing and mingling and having a nice time down at the barn. There's a barn, a red barn halfway up the thing. And we're all enjoying the evening. It was a summer's evening. It was nice. And then into the in from the gate, it, like, say, half a kilometre away, we see these three motorbikes coming in. And uh, it genuinely looked like Hell's Angels or something coming in wow. to disrupt our proceedings, right? And nobody said it, but everybody was thinking it, Right. Jesus, this is the bike he's coming in. We're going to be in trouble. <laughs> and a little fellow like me, I'm heading to the back of the crowd because I don't want to be the first one to get right. the, into trouble. And uh, they came right up and, you know, there were Harley Davidson bikes and chopper things, you know, and loud and brash and came right in amongst the crowd. You know, like and think, oh, here we go. This is it's all on now. Yeah. And uh, they jumped off and took the helmets off. And one of the guy was from ZZ Top. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know the names, but he was the guitarist or someone from ZZ Top. And so then these three. It wasn't the whole group, but it was one of the guys who knows Rod quite well. Right. They were mates, and they went up, and they were the band for the night that played the track, You know, I mean, wow. Those kind of things. Um, those kind of things don't happen at Queensland Raceway yet. <laughs> <laughs> one day well one day i mean we're building a corporate mm. level out there yes that i fully intend to um you know use for for um you know casual events you know dinners with stars and stuff like that because uh you know we can pool a few favors from a few people um you know and and you know since my investment in you know I've, I've known Roland Dane for 10 years, say. But since my investment in Triple Eight, I've got to know him a whole lot better and a whole lot more. And, uh, you know, what a fantastic human Mm. with a fantastic story, uh, connections, and ability to make things work. And, you know, an evening with Roland Dane, and I haven't even asked him, but, you know, an evening with Roland Dane would interest so many people in so many ways. You know, not just talking about his Bathurst win or whatever it is, you know, he's a car dealer in England, you know, and the people that he mixed and mingled with there and and how he's got on through life. I, I, I find that very interesting. I, I know that most people find that interesting.
0: And that, that was like myself talking to you today. I have a list of certain things I wanted to touch on and that, but a lot of it wasn't motorsport the stuff I wanted to talk yeah. to you about the original. Yeah. It's the same deal. Like everyone's got a life story, don't, don't they?
1: Absolutely, man. And that's, I'm telling you, write it down. And don't tell any lies. Yeah. Like, the r- rule is you're not allowed to use it as a tool or, a, a, you know, a spiteful weapon or say something that's not quite right. And, you know, I think, I think that would be the wrong thing to do.
0: Mm. You know. W- with Queensland Raceway, we'll yeah. touch on that because I don't want to hold you for too long as Did well. Did you I mean. say
1: Queensland or Queensland?
0: You're not going to change it, are you? <laughs> <laughs> it's probably my poor speech. <laughs> um, but, yeah, Queensland Raceway. Yeah. Uh, in the last six months, I've been there more than I've been there in lots of years. Obviously, we've got ASBK coming up in five of weeks' time, yep. I think it is. Yep. Uh, the teams have come back to go testing there. Um, it's changed so much. I did a track day in October, and then I just did one on um, Sunday. Going through the gate the first time in January again to go to the test, the, the touch has changed already yeah. to go there, hey? Yeah. There's a lot of work.
1: Yeah, look, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't a high platform that I had to build on. Mm. You know, like I didn't have to compete very hard to make an improvement. And, you know, John John uh, was a friend, is a friend, you know, he, he's ter- he, he, He's a bit of a strange character, I find, you know, my, my impression, you know, he, he gets a bit strange sometimes and and we we've had, breakfasts and lunches and we've talked about racetracks and how to run them as a business and all the rest of it. And we've had an opposing view on lots of things. And John doesn't uh, seem to uh, see the things that I see when I go into a property. So um, I cannot expect any customer of mine to put up with substandard uh, facilities. I mean, that's just it. That's just inhumane. At, at this point in in the centuries, we shouldn't be doing that. You know, I mean, uh, people should have a decent uh, facility when they come and particularly when they pay to be there. Mm. It even makes less sense to <laughs> not provide something decent. So, um, you know, John sold it to me for 12 million. I don't mind telling people because it's the truth. 12 million. Uh, I'm going to spend 10 million on it before we hold our hand out to the state government for anything else I, I don't I couldn't be bothered to be quite honest but I've been advised that's what we should be doing
0: yeah
1: um, um, and I think the important thing too is that it remains Queensland Raceway I'm I'm determined that it stays that way yeah. uh, because when I'm dead and gone it should still be Queensland Raceway yeah I mean I might have a few signs that say Queensland Raceway just for a bit of a giggle uh, just <laughs> just on your car <laughs> run, a, run a competition or something you know but um no i think it it, it belongs to queensland and uh, i'll do my bit and uh you know I, i'm i'm gonna have a big open day uh, probably july i would think where we'll invite you know just people yeah can come and see competitors can come people can you know people can come Children can come. I don't. I don't really care. People can just come and see what they've got in Queen'sland Raceway, and and I think if I can not talk too ahead of myself, um, I think the Ipswich City Council are going to make some pretty big improvements to the precinct, right? Because they've seen that they've actually seen how bad it really is. You know, as it just as a precinct, it yeah. it hasn't been loved. Um, the drag strip just got some federal money to improve their uh, infrastructure and some bits and pieces. Um, I think the roadway needs to be looked at. The signage at the front needs to be looked at. So I think we'll see some investment from Ipswich City Council uh, into making the Ipswich Motorsport Precinct into something that they should be proud of and. The people, the, the local community, can be proud of. And as I said before, if we're going to build a nighttime evening um, event structure for next year, you know, it needs to be better lit. It needs to be better signed. You know, all that stuff. Yeah. So, I think they're pretty keen to do that because um, of the um, the push forward that we're doing. And you know, everybody wants the V8s back for sure. Know? And I think it's very. I think the V8s want to come back too because uh, the demographic that we get out there is V8 stuff, you know, that, that's what they want to see. It's their core, isn't it? It's their yep. core, mate. And, uh, you know, I think it ranks quite highly in the V8, um, you know, business model, as far as, you know, uh, gigs that they can make a return on. So yep. I think we'll see them back. I'm pretty sure that they'll be back. I mean, they're a different business now to, to what I haven't met the new um, owners. Um, but, you know, I mean, I'm sure they'll be as commercial as the last one. So, you know, I mean, we'll just have to see what happens there. And I think we'll get, uh, because of the, the situation, I think we'll get more support from, um, you know, Tourism Queensland or whatever it is that, yep. that we can help to help lure them
0: back. Because it's one of those things too, like we, we need circuits to race at. Mm-hmm. The V8s, most of the venues are not circuit-based. Um, yeah, and that's a
1: problem for everybody. Mm. Um And it's maybe just a phase that we're going through. Certainly, you know, I think uh, when you're talking spectators, you can get a hell of a lot of people into a street race that were just passing by or whatever it was. Mm. And the hotels are there, cafes are there and everything else. But it's not convenient for the people that live there. I mean, I lived on the Indy track. Uh, I've just moved into the old folks' home at Sanctuary Cove, <laughs> wow. but um, I lived at Paradise Waters for many years, and it was an absolute friggin' disruption uh, when they were doing that the the track. So I'm not sure that that's going to got a long life span. Um, and if you look at in America, NASCAR and stuff, they don't need a street. You know, they've got big ovals and stuff. And I think uh, with TikTok and apps and Google and everything else that's happening, this 360 camera stuff that's that's been talked about inside the cars and stuff. You know, um, spectators, big thing. I'm not, you know, so the big thing for street races was spectators to get the tickets in. And we've seen spectators dwindle, uh, if we're truthful, um, over the years, right? Um, So maybe the model's going to be different in 10 years time I don't know Mm. Um, but if we look at Queensland we've got Townsville uh, Street Race and Gold Coast Street Race which are both great events and I've raced at (laughs) both of them they're all good but the longevity of them I'm not quite sure but of course we need to have somewhere to go Mm. so hail Queensland Raceway (laughs) hopefully
0: did you ever get to uh, drive at Darlington
1: hey wow I've got a few funny stories but I'm not going to tell them but um yes, I did, but only like not, not drive drive, but just I think it was a BMW. I just took around the it was a Targa car. Actually. Right. Yeah. And um old Tony, he was a bit of a character. Mm. And young Tony's a character too, so you know, like um, yeah, he was a he was a interesting character. I was present, uh and Tony Cochrane and Wayne Caddick were having a discussion with with um old Tony about the whole thing. And uh, they had a, Tony Cochrane and Tony Stevenson had a big big blue, for want of a better term. Tony Cochran slammed the door shut, went out to the car. Wayne Carrick was trying to cool things down, calm things down. And um, yeah, Tony was on the horn of the car, outside. It was exciting times, but um, no, uh, it was a great thing. That yeah, yeah. was never gonna go anywhere. No, no. It's not it's not easy to build a racetrack, um, and make it part of the community, which is again what we've done with Highlands. We've become a very important part of that community.
0: Yeah.
1: And we value that so much. I mean, people in the in the town of Cromwell are proud to take their visitors to Highlands, to the cafe, to go to the toilets, go go to the Louvre with a view and all of that
0: stuff, um, it's marvellous. Well, it's nice to see people take pride in their, you know, in a business because it's, it's an investment for one thing, but, you know, it's something that people should be proud of, yeah. you know. Yeah, um, I mean, why wouldn't you be? Yeah. You know, extra little bit of effort.
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, for example, right, I was up at Queensland HW yesterday and it was one of the casual labourer guys, nice guy, young guy, um, water blasting down the what used to be the cafe, which is now going to be a real cafe, whatever. Yeah. Um, and he was water blasting down the roof. And so there was all this wet shit lying on the concrete floor. Uh, okay, it's a construction site, so you know, it doesn't matter, I guess. But I said, and he was packing up. And I said, mate, no, just reset that thing. Get the hose back onto it, start it back up, and wash off that dirt. Wash it into the grass. I mean, it's best in the grass will be fine. And um, he did that. And I said, man, how much better does that look? He said, yeah, yeah, it does. I said, man, a little bit more effort in your life and your boss, whoever your boss is, be it your customers or you're the boss or fucking their boss, they will see that. And you'll be compensated for that. Yeah. Either in promotion or more money or get another job, whatever it is. A little bit more effort. Don't fucking stop before the finish line. Yep. Yeah,
0: yeah. How would he go? Did he take? No, he on? was good. Mate. He's good. No, yep. he's
1: good. He's like he, you know. And this is, this is um, what I find nowadays. You can't expect a teenager or a young person to know all that stuff, and you can't give them a book to read about. It's not the same. If you can show them how to do something. Um, it's much better, and if they they appreciate it more as well, yeah, and they learn so much faster.
0: If if you were to forecast something, say we've got a round of the bikes here, mm-hmm. if there was a promoter that could do something in New Zealand for Australian superbikes, would that be something that would happen at one of the tracks over there potentially? Yeah, absolutely. We're talking. We're ahead of the game, mate. We're ahead of you. Yeah, good. Yeah, <laughs> it'd be great though. Like, <laughs> absolutely. Especially as and the it, world opens up, mate.
1: It, it it makes total sense. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's a three-hour flight to New Zealand. Yeah, it's easy. From here. You get 12 bikes in a container or 10 bikes in a, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, absolutely. So my uh, thing with Australian categories coming to New Zealand, um, we have a, an internal policy where we can help with the freight uh, bill. Um, so we are happy to contribute to the freight um, yeah. for the guys. because. You know, I know how much it costs to take a car from here to Perth or here to Darwin or here to bloody Phillip Island, even. Yep. You know, or here to Cairns.
0: <laughs> you know, yeah, it's. Anyway. It costs a
1: bit of, I know, but yep. it costs a bit of money. But New Zealand's not that difficult.
0: <laughs> no, no.
1: Like, you know, you stick them in a container, forget about them for a week, and pick them up at the other side. And we, so we can organize and facilitate all of that stuff to make it easy. And, you know, um, whilst I had the. Australian GT series we obviously did that for a few years yeah over at the Highlands um, and you know I would be talking to uh, I think the TA2 guys are talking to us at the moment as well because you're right as the world opens up it
0: makes perfect sense yeah yeah because the facilities are worth it too yeah well
1: I think if you want to if you want to go to Pukakoi then just go and stay in a Mattel and eat the KFC and go home again Hamden Downs you know that's just another racetrack that's that's I I think it's like Eastern Creek and Phillip Island it's just an industrial uh, racetrack you know that's what it is it's a racetrack um Taupo and Highlands are a wee bit different Mm. that's Taupo is a place that you can go to and spend the weekend and take the misses and kids and whatever else and um you know there's lots of things to do there that you wouldn't normally do and it's a lovely spot, you know. And obviously, Queenstown is probably one of the best resorts in the world, for sure. So, you know, I mean, anything, either Highlands or Taupo, makes a whole lot of sense to me. I mean, I, I've spoken to the V8s about a double header, at, you know, Hampton Downs one week and Taupo the next, but you know, that's a big ask. I don't know if that'll ever happen.
0: It, it would make like obviously they had the Hamilton, um, yeah, um, street street, street, street yes. circuit like it, it makes sense to have two rounds over a period of time. Like it's such a, such an investment for one weekend. It would.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's definitely something that, that, um, to be fair, it's definitely something that that New Zealand tourism would be interested in too. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll see what happens, but you know, so many things change so quickly. I mean, three years ago, we didn't even know what COVID was or even a pandemic. My dad lived and died in a pandemic free world. You know, it's a hundred years since we had the last one, but, and I don't even know if it's a pandemic anymore. I mean, it seems to be, not that we want to get onto the subject, but, you know, we've done our bit. We've been vaccinated. Most people have done the right thing, been yep. vaccinated. The deal was, we get vaccinated, we open up. Yeah, freedoms. And it's, it's, oh, I don't know. It doesn't seem to be that simple. But we're all getting fed up of it. I'm sure.
0: For sure. For sure. You've invested. The I've police will be
1: around to my house tonight. I'll be arrested. Probably this yeah. will probably
0: get cancelled. <laughs> <laughs> um, you've invested so much in, in different classes throughout motorsport.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Why? Is it a love, or is it is it business and love? Because you well, look at the in, GT stuff. Yeah, well, everything. no,
1: but, but even Carrera Cup. Yep. I mean, I I um, was a guy. No, well, there was four of us in the very beginning. Really? Yeah, there was four of us. We all put in 25 grand or something. There was uh, Jeff Morgan, myself, a guy called David Skaysbrook, and a guy called Tim Pritchard. And we all had elements that we could bring to the table to make the deal work. Um, but after the first round at the Grand Prix, where I think I finished fifth, all the other guys, I think David Skaysbrook wrote his car off. I think Jeff Morgan finished somewhere 20th, or whatever, Pritchard finished 25th, wherever, they all got the shits because, you know, they'd all been used to driving Porsches that were slightly modified to their own specs, but along came these Carrera Cup cars that were all equal, right. and it really sort of leveled the play- playing field a wee bit, and they got the shits, and they got fed up, and they didn't want to do it anymore. So I bought it from them, and, um, or paid them out, and then I got a guy called Jamie Blakey, to come and help me run it because I I didn't uh, have the time, uh, but together we we um, grew the thing and it was quite well respected. I think at that time we had thirty two cars on the grid, which I think they're just going to pip it this year or whatever it is they're going to do this year. But um, you know, so I started off Carrera Cup in Australia, and did that for six or eight years. I can't quite remember. In the end, I I um, you know I. I just got fed up with it. To be honest, it was yeah. just, the only way to pass somebody was to break them, and that usually meant fucking crashing into them. So, it didn't. It wasn't enjoyable anymore. Um, and then, of course, I got out of that, and I thought I'll have a break for a while. But then a friend, Dean Grant, phoned me up and said, "Oh, this GT racing's really good," <laughs> and so I bought an Aston Martin. I loved it. What yep. a what a different you know from Porsche Cup, Aston Martin. Oh, I loved it. Flames coming at the back, and it was cool, and I was competitive. Like you know, again, it was it was good, um, and I I enjoyed that. And Martin Wag and his daughter Rachel ran it for they they had the series, and but it wasn't uh, it wasn't FIA run by the rules, and so it was a wee bit. Um, it would change, you know, the rules would change yep. to suit the track or whatever, to suit the people, personal. So it was getting out of hand, and then we had a revolt one day at Eastern Creek and all the drivers didn't go, you know, there was just, a, we were all just unhappy with the way it was being run. And Martin just had the shits with it. And so I phoned him up and said, mate, you have gotta change this or it's gonna, yeah, it's gonna kill you. It's, it, Rachel was crying, you know, it's it's just not right. We've gotta do something about it. And he said, well, do you want to buy it? I said, oh, not really, but yeah, well, if, I, you know, if, if it means a good thing. So I think I bought GTs to try and fix it. Yeah. And uh, fix it we did, and uh, caused a few, a few ripples along the way with V8s and Porsche, Greg Cup, and all that stuff. So GTs were really booming. Mm. And what happened in GTs was that um, I didn't mind sharing the success with the competitors. But um, prize money, we were told, let's do this, let's go to New Zealand, you know, we're doing all this stuff that was different and, and funky. Um, but some of the competitors were, were staunch and said, no, we want to be with the V8s and we want to do the TV thing and we want to do this. And really, um, uh, and my own eldest daughter was suffering from cancer. At the time. So I, I was really in a bad spot. I just had enough, I had the shits. And uh, yeah, you, for as good as job you can do, you can never satisfy everybody. And it only takes three people to piss you off, and that they did. Yeah. And they never raced the next year after we changed the rules to suit their demands. Yeah, they they didn't race the following year. So and so, GTS kind of slipped away from me a wee I, I I lost interest completely. Yeah. And um, then Jim Manolis, the Pirelli guy, he he wanted to buy it. And he bought it for whatever reason and then you know I don't know changed things again and it sort of faltered yeah. went back into the hands of calms and now ARG have got it and I think they'll do a good job of it mm. um, and it's very unfortunate that the 12 hours been disrupted with COVID because that was gathering momentum if you like for sure yeah Um. I don't know what's going to happen this year I don't think we're totally over COVID I'm not quite sure Um but we'll try and support it if 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 it's going to go and then of course sorry uh, Aussie race cars after that yeah well Phil Ward had a meltdown at Queensland Raceway actually really yeah he was off the back of the or he was 20th or something on the grid and on the start this is live television and um, he went rogue as Phil sometimes did he's a great guy and his family's great people you know his son uh, Brad still works for me um, and Phil just went rogue because there was oil on the track, and he drove from position twenty right up to the front. And the, like it's live television, the guys didn't know what was happening. Oh <laughs> so, no! So basically, Aussie race cars got banned from from racing uh, at CAMS events, if you like. Yeah. And it so sort of, uh, there was a bit of um, look. I'm not a doctor or anything, but you know Phil was just stressed out, and he just had enough. Done his bit, you know. Yep. Sometimes you've just done your bit, and you know that's it. And so I bought it from Phil and then totally changed, made the cars um, safer and uh, more consistent. And I, th- I don't know how many we've sold, but that's a great little series. You know, I mean, it kind of go- flies b- beneath the radar a wee bit. Yeah. But when you're in there driving, um, geez, I can tell you that the top 10 guys are, are going hard. Right. Like nobody's having that much fun. We're all going hard each other. Are they fun to drive? Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Awesome. And I asked Paul Morris. Yeah. He reckons they're the best thing ever to drive. And they are. They're they're incredible. You can feel the front wheels lifting at the corners and stuff. And it's just the, and you know, it's it's if any category is there for the fun of it, that's the category. Right. Nobody's that serious, to be fair. We're all pretty good, but nobody's making a career out of it. You know, it's not it's not like the toyota, toyota 86 series for you know you you got got a of yeah yep. yeah yeah i mean none of that mm. you get you get a cup guaranteed you'll get a cup once a year perfect yeah in a sandwich or something chocolate <laughs> chocolate, <laughs> chocolate frog, frog or something yeah.
0: <laughs> what happens to lakeside
1: oh well you'd have to ask john titley that
0: does it um, improve do you think like obviously um it doesn't look like it has do you think it will uh, i don't look
1: i'm going to be there's enough bloody people on google books that have yeah. got an opinion there that that is uh, uninformed to be quite honest yeah um Lakeside as a race track is past its use by date absolutely if you're going to have what i would call speed events there um you're running a risk that's unnecessary yeah right there's no doubt of that and i'll yeah let any man challenge me on that. Um, it, it would need, and I'm going to say it would need, between 3 and $4 million spent on it just to make it safe so that you could sleep at night, right? Yeah. Now, on it, you can, you, I love it. Everybody loves Lakeside. I love it. It's a great track to draw it. Yeah. But it's just not safe anymore. The cars are going a whole lot quicker, and... Um, motorbikes go me. you know, like it, it's just, it's just the risk is too high. And the infrastructure is not up to stand. It's, it's not where it needs to be, right? Now, it doesn't belong to me. I've got no say in it. Um, and it's just an opinion, but it's a well-founded opinion. And um, there's evidence to support all that. Um, and, you know, I, I don't think uh, well, you know, CAMS won't, uh, Motorsport Australia won't sanction it. Um, WSA won't sanction it. Motorcycle Australia won't sanction it. You know, without without massive money being spent. Um, John chooses to run under his own uh, sanctioning system, his own insurance. That and it's John's risk. That's that's his thing. Yeah. But you know, I've had experience with insurance companies in in. Uh, my other commercial world, you know, of, of food manufacturer or whatever. And my opinion of insurance companies is that if they can see a fucking crack in the wall that they can sneak through, they're through, they're, and nothing, they're gone. Yeah. And I know that, you know, like you, you have a duty of care, you have a responsibility to present a facility that's, that's you know, up to standard. And if they thought, if, if anything happened and they thought there was an issue, it would be a difficult uh, thing to deal with. And uh, Look, it doesn't need to get that far. Honestly, if John was to ask me, or if you're asking me what would I do, I would have to spend some money on it. And John's got plenty of money. Don't, don't yeah. think he hasn't, he's got plenty. Um, you need to spend some money on it to at least bring it up to a safe standard that's acceptable. Spend some money on landscape. It's a beautiful setting. It'll never be houses. Despite what people talk about houses and that, it's in the water catchment area of the lake. So it's never going to be houses, right? Right. So let's just take that one off the table for everybody. Um, You need to, you know, the noise issue won't go away. So John needs to manage that by same as we do at Highlands. We have 16 noisy days a year. You know, that's what we've got and we manage it well. So, you know, you need to work with the community and make it Truly, a, st- a historical park, yeah. and in a lovely setting, with you know good infrastructure, period infrastructure. You know, I'm not saying put a big glass tower control tower on it. No, it needs to. This is my vision. Yeah. It needs to be a period piece, where it has that good wood feel to it. Once a year, you know, like just have two events a year that involve some form of speed or racing or whatever. Yeah. And the rest of the time, um, if it's presented well and the grass is mowed and everything's nice, other people will use it for, you know, just what they call happy laps, people just driving around the track. And, you know, I could see like the Nürburgring, you can go there with your camper van and drive around the Nürburgring for 20 euros or something, Mm. you know, you could go to Lakeside on a Sunday afternoon and pay $5 or $25 or whatever and do a couple of laps in your car. It's an experience. It's an experience. I mean, there's. And this is going back to what I was saying before about people that build racetracks and have this vision of having big races and stuff. there very difficult to make a living doing that. For sure. So You have to have an another element, be it members or or, you know, whatever other element you've got going in your business um, model to make it work.
0: Like you've been to Goodwood, been to Leadfoot. Uh, mm-hmm. It's something you could have there. Yeah. Really, Steve? Absolutely. Yeah.
1: And it would suit it so well. Yeah. And, you know, we are more than happy, despite what everybody says on Gogglebox, we are more than happy to work with whoever owns Lakeside Park. It's just that sometimes John just is difficult to deal with, in my opinion, you know, yeah. and I'm sure he would have an opinion about me. But we, you know, we're, we're both competitive people and I suppose that uh, gets in the way a wee bit. But I don't want anybody to. It's a bit like, oh, Quinny doesn't like motorbikes. For
0: sure, yeah. Bullshit. Yeah. Bullshit.
1: You know, and you know, I I love Lakeside. I think it's a great thing. I would I would if John was sensible. In fact, the original deal was buying both of them, right? But there's a there's a big part of me that th- is thankful that we didn't do both of them at the same time. I'm actually quite involved with QR getting that up to. Where it needs to be, yep. um, that I would struggle, to, uh, I would struggle to do Lakeside at the same time, right? So in a funny, quirky way, I'm happy if we get Queensland Raceway out of the way, get it sorted, get it up to a standard that we're all happy with, and then we could look at some other project like Lakeside or whatever. Yep. Now, John, with his feeling at the moment, he probably doesn't want to talk to me or he, he you know, whatever. Um, but I'm always commercially open to to and, and uh, to be fair to him, he probably is too. so you know um, I think we just let dust settle a wee bit, whatever happens and, and just see what it takes is But for sure, um, it's a great facility, great track, great history, all of that stuff just needs some some loving care
0: yeah
1: and some serious loving care.
0: So we're safe for the future of car racing and bike racing in Queensland with Queensland Raceway, and drifting, and drifting. road drifting, and, power and plays, happy laps, happy and laps. power
1: plays, whatever. It is. But here's the deal: I mean, I'll give you an example of uh, the first week I owned Queensland Raceway. There was a, a race meeting going on, right, and the HQs were racing. Yep, and I was up on the bank um, uh, watching. Just it was it's very enjoyable up on the bank at queensland raceway uh sitting in your you yep. having a look you know the air conditioning on or whatever it is it's, it's quite all right and anyway the hqs were on and the first couple of guys they were making headway they were inching away from the other guys right they were making uh, they were you know doing a good job they were staying on the track they were making uh gapping the field right the first two yep. guys everybody from third back were all trying to race each other and they were all going off the track they were all breaking late they were all out of control right
0: yep
1: and they were losing place they, they were losing they were doing slower times than the guys at the front so i spoke to them right i said guys you know like really you're coming off the track at every corner Every lap. It's really not what you should be doing. You know, you need to respect the white line. That is the track limit. Yeah. And that's, you know, when we when I go to race at Newcastle or Bathurst or india or wherever, the track limit's pretty fucking obvious. It's a concrete block, yeah, yeah. right? And if you go out if you go outside the track limits, you pay the price. Uh but I think there's there there has been a culture at Queensland Raceway. Of just running wide and stuff like that. So, one of the first jobs that we did was to paint the white lines again that you can see them and the ripple strips and everything else. Yep. So, you know, there's no excuses Same with the drift guys. Look, you know, I've been hammered with a little hammer um about the drift guys. You know, um, same story. You know, they call it dirt drops, right? They go off the it, they keep the boot in and it wheel spins, the dust flies up, whatever it is, yeah. ruins the edge of the track, ruins the bloody track for everybody else. I mean, they're not the only ones that are using the track, right? If they're doing it on Friday night, somebody's coming in Saturday morning to use the track, Yep. right? So, um, and we've learned this in New Zealand as well at Hampton Down, same deal, you know. Um, I say to the drift guys, you've got 12 meters of asphalt all the way around Queensland Raceway. It doesn't go to nine or four or anything. It's 12 meters all the way around. Your car's two meters wide. If you put it sideways, it's five meters wide. You've got plenty room and a professional drifter, a proper drifter can drift around Queensland Raceway without going off the track every lap, right? Yeah. I've seen Mad Mike drift up um, lead foot. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. How wide's that? Four metres? Maybe. Yeah, Maybe. Yeah. He drifts all the way up there, right? Wow. So if you're a drifter, you can drift. If you can't keep it on 12 metres a track, you're simply a hoon. And you need to learn how to drift. And there's plenty of avenues at Queensland Raceway. In fact, we're developing programs now that will help guys become good drifters. And, you know, it's pretty simple. So until they can drift properly side by side and all that stuff, um, we're putting tires, truck tires, strategically placed. Yeah. Uh, now, they're not, they're not encroaching on the 12-meter mark. So you've still got 12 meters. Yep. But if you want to go outside the track, then you're probably going to damage your car more than you're going to damage the track. And that's the way it should be. I mean, I remember, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago, Hiring cars from Hertz in Tasmania. I'll probably get arrested later on. <laughs> Hiring cars from Tasmania, Hertz, yep. going to Simmons Plains, taking the number plates off and hooning around Simmons Plains, right? And delivering the car back to Hertz with no tires, no brakes. Not, you know, There was a whole bunch of us doing it, not just at Simmons Plains, but elsewhere. You can't do that anymore. Hertz are on to you. Hertz could take 20 pictures of the car before you hire it, and if you bash it in any way, shape, or form, it costs you like three grand if you haven't insured it. Yes. So it's progress. It's what's happening. You know, like people get an opportunity, they take advantage, they then think the advantage is the norm, and then somebody has to address it. And that's simply all that's happened at um, Queensland Raceway and Taupo and Hampton Down.
0: So for that, that little bit of time there's like a hailstorm of bad meat bad press comes or bad comments come through of people you know saying oh he's restricting the track or this is happening but realistically it's something you're just doing because of a reason
1: well absolutely i mean i'm no, i'm not a dummy I'm, no. I'm, I'm an experienced guy that listens to all sides of the story yep. right and then makes a makes a commercial decision of how it can be better for everybody or better for the business and you know, that's my job, I guess. That's and and a driver. You know, like, yeah, and people people will always criticize you. Man. I mean, you're yeah. not going to travel through life <laughs> without a bit of criticism. Yeah. And obviously the Google box has made it a whole lot easier for people to, for sure. to do that. And I would just, you know, uh, they need to be informed before they have an opinion. Yeah. It's the same as, you know, people that that complain about something without a solution. You know, what's the point? You know,
0: we Makes all no sense.
1: we all see the fucking problem. <laughs> what's the solution? Yep, that's the answer. You know that. So I don't complain about anything unless I've got a suggestion or a sort a, of a, a,
0: a considered opinion. Because one of the things we've fallen into as a society too, like you, you've been, you've worked hard to race at all these different tracks and good cars at these tracks. Is we've made massive runoff at all the every track around the world now. Mm-hmm. We've fallen into a thing where everyone just runs wide.
1: Yeah, but it's slow. There's no consequence. So what's
0: the point? I mean, yeah.
1: I, I don't quite get all that. Stuff. No, it's annoying. And, and the the runoff is, um, you know, if you if you come unstuck or yeah. any of that stuff, that's what it's there for. It's not there to be used. It's, it's not just, extra track. No, and there's a very good guy that I've, I've met a couple of times in England, um, Dr. Jonathan Palmer. Right. He owns uh, about I don't know about five or seven tracks in the UK. And he's very, very staunch on track limits. In fact, he's gone to the expense of putting sensors in and stuff like that, and he, you know, he'll have none of it. Yep. And I, I agree with him. For you sure. Know, you've got 12 meters, your car's two meters wide. What the hell? It would be far cheaper for us to build and maintain a track that was four meters wide. That's all
0: you need. Makes sense. And, yeah. and, and you've just done Targa. <laughs> like, you know yeah. the limits. Yeah. You know, if there's a limit there, that's where you, yeah. you know. So Absolutely. We should leave that there, mate. This has been this has been <laughs> awesome. I, I
1: can feel a whole lot of trouble coming my way. But look, uh, can I just say that yep. I'm approachable yes. um, by anybody at any time, so long as you haven't got a knife in your hand or something. But I'm approachable for an opinion or a reason or any of that stuff. And I encourage people to, to understand more about what I'm doing um, before they... Look, I, I think that I don't read the goggle box thing much at all, but when I do read it, I seem to be I'm very humbled by the compliments that I receive. Yeah. And they far outweigh any negative stuff. So I'm I'm in a happy place.
0: And you're hands on. This is something I was gonna say too. I I was actually out there last week and I seen you driving around with a bunch of steel in the back of a car (laughs) and you're doing a lot of stuff there yourself. Yeah, but I I love
1: it. I I love that. I'm a a working guy. I'm not. I've got people that sit behind laptops and computers in the office and bundle, and they manage the day-to-day, you know, that kind of stuff. And I'm going in this afternoon to to make a few decisions, I guess. Um, But that's what they like doing. I don't like doing that. I like uh, seeing things and doing stuff and touching stuff and. Getting into, get, sometimes being a little bit naughty is not a bad thing, you know. Like, I think you know my my partner Kate. She keeps telling me off for speeding a little bit on the road, and I, I'm not I'm not bad, but I'm maybe a bit naughty. That's how I would describe it. And you know, every now and again, have a fucking Big Mac, extra special meal with a hash brown. Be naughty. Every now and, you don't have to eat any organic lettuce leaves. Have a good life
0: <laughs> go against the grain a bit <laughs> love it. Thank you so much for for obviously coming in. I think we've addressed a fair few different things there that we need to as well. Um, I don't think there's anything that's too uh, too spicy oh, yeah. in there I think it it, look
1: uh, another uh, thing that I live by is if you tell the truth, yeah it's a whole lot easier to remember and because if you start telling lies, you can't remember who you told what to and everything else so I Embarrassingly, sometimes have to tell the truth, and I don't shy away from anything. Um, there's a the, in in the business world. There's a certain uh, thought that you should hide your wealth or, you know, be careful about how much money you tell people you've got or whatever. I don't share that view. I think if you've been successful, particularly if you started from nothing, if you started with a hundred million yeah. and you've only got a million left, probably keep it quiet, right? Yeah. But if you go in reverse, I think be proud of it. And that's why I love the Americans. They love and they celebrate success like that. They think it's great. Whereas in Australia, New Zealand, and particularly in Scotland, it's the tall poppy thing comes out. Yeah, it's annoying, isn't it? Well, I don't fucking suffer it. I don't don't do it. I don't subscribe to that theory. I just keep going. Just keep head down? Yeah, and... (sighs) My problem, and, and this is going to sound really fucking weird to a lot of people. My problem now is, is dealing with the wealth that I've created. And, you know, my children are all well looked after. Uh, my grandchildren and the children that I care about, how do you deal with that without spoiling their lives? Because, you know, I, I inherited nothing. I got nothing. Um, and I've had a great life. And I would hate if that was different. And you know, so you've got to be very careful about how you disperse that, or use it, or what you use it for. So
0: I'm going to ask you one more thing. I was going to wrap this up.
1: No, you're not getting. You're not in the inheritance list. No, I wasn't that? No, right. No. Oh, sorry.
0: <laughs> Does money excite you? No, yeah.
1: no, no. I, and it, most people will tell you, no, nah, I don't do it for the money. Nah, and some of them are lying, right? Yeah. I don't do it for the money. I, I don't care. I've always been pretty good at that. I'm yeah, pretty yeah. good at making money. Um, and it comes easy to me. And I'm happy to share with people how I've done it. And the first thing I'll tell you is there's no magic dust, right? It worked. I, I've worked. But you made some good decisions, man. You know, like, you, you, and mix with good people. And, and make money. Don't be afraid of it, be proud of it, you know, and and um, happy to share any of that bloody stuff with anybody that's, that's interested, but most people, to be fair, just want to know what the code is, yeah. you know, could you just fucking shortcut that story, just tell me the code and I'll get on with it, it doesn't work like that, it doesn't work like that, although I do tell, I'll be honest, I do tell a lot of young guys to go out and find a wealthy woman in Maria. Just straight away. Just straight away. Just. <laughs> there's a code? That's, that's a code. It's cheat code. Yeah, that's
0: it. <laughs> there you are. There there's are. going to be Google books on that one. we'll <laughs> cut that one out. <laughs> nah, nothing's been cut. So, um, yeah, once again, thank you so much, Tony. No, it's
1: a pleasure, man, anything.
0: And um, I look forward to seeing the venue change over the time. And uh, as they've been there more in six months than uh, – than in the past fifteen yeah. odd years, and it's it's amazing to see what's yeah. happened already.
1: Well, you want to base some of your podcasts out there, want to. to get the corporate suite going, and just yeah, you because know, you know I think there'll be a lot of opportunity to speak to people who have done things in
0: their life and
1: stuff like that. I think it's a good thing. I think we need to share that for sure because people do need to know the, how people have done it.
0: Yeah, and you need to know the truth. Yeah. Like you don't need the the whispers. I guess you know.
1: No, and so I'm just gonna. Uh, we're never gonna finish this, but I'll just finish on this. Old Dick Johnson, who I love to bits, yep. he's an absolute uh, character, right? And still, it, uh, he must be 80 now, surely, and he's still what he has, right? He's so funny when you yeah. get him up on stage, he's he's a crack. Um, so we were stand, he was out there at the weekend, or I was there, whatever was happening, we, we, we connected together. And behind it, we were on the main street there, just outside the tower, and behind the thing, it says Dick Johnson Street, right? In yep. sort of pale blue, shitty paint, fucking whatever, right? And I, I just said, Dick, you know, will you come back in July, and we're gonna rename this straight once we've got the corporate thing up and everything else? And he was delighted, and he said, absolutely. And those things, those are the things that we should be doing. Sure, you know, like just recognising um, um, Dick and getting him up on stage and and you know listen, having a bunch of people around listening to what he has to say because he's a hoot. Like when he gets going, because in Hampton Downs I had him and John Bow and uh, Paul Radisich and all those guys wow. up on stage, and it was such a hoot. Like nobody wanted to stop the evening. Like it was midnight and it's getting you know it's getting late, people. But it was so interesting to listen to these guys.
0: Well, the stories they have, Mm -hmm. like your your Jim Richards, your Paul Radisic and that, like what they've gone through. Yeah. It's huge. Yeah. And and hands-on. A lot of them too, like they've come through a time where they're very, very hands-on.
1: Absolutely. And the bullshit lies that they tell each other and all the rest of it is good. It's it's all part
0: of the game. Lovely. Mate, (laughs) we'll end it here because we will get another story. But, uh, thank thank you you once again. Appreciate it. That's all we have time for on today's show. If you get the chance, head over to YouTube and hit subscribe on the Talk and Chatter page. Also, head over to iTunes and give us a star rating and a review there. It all helps to get the podcast out there. A big thank you goes to everyone that's been doing this already. And uh, we'll be back with another show soon.